going to sing a song, and then I'm going to read the Bible, pray, and then y'all can sing the rest of it. Uh, uh, I'm going to fly. Okay. Um, it's making it easy on everybody.
Amen and amen. If you believe that nothing is impossible with God, just give me a shout out and amen or give me a honk out there and let me know. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I want to read from Matthew chapter 16. It's a familiar passage of Scripture where Jesus is with His disciples and they're at Caesarea Philippi. And it says, Now when Jesus came, starting in verse 13, into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do you say, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we are thankful today that we can gather together in your name. And we thank you that you are indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as we gather together in your name, we pray that the things that we do, the songs we sing, the words we speak would bring glory to you. And we pause on this morning to remember our country to pray for the divisions that run deep. Father, we pray that you would begin to change the hearts and the minds of men. And Lord, you would bring about revival in our land. Father, that there would be no need to to talk about racism or racial tension because you would do a miraculous work. Father, you would help us to see that we are all created in your image. That there is no distinction. Father, that you would help us as your church to carry that message of reconciliation and to work the ministry of reconciliation. Father, we pray for communities that are hurting, for people that are in need, that you would bring them the hope of the Savior this morning. Father, we pray that as the gospel is preached in in churches that are meeting in buildings or meeting outside or still meeting online, Father, that we trust your work to do what only it can do. That by the power of your Spirit, it transforms. Because your Word is living and it's active. Father, we thank you that you meet us where we are. That you don't give us what we deserve. But by your grace, you give us what we need. And that's salvation. It's assurance. It's the grace to stand and to to live another moment on another day. And so on this day, the day that you have made, We pray you would help us to rejoice and be glad in it, to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, help us to lift our hearts and our voices high toward you in praise. For God, we love you, we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Keep believing 
Well, if you brought a, a Bible or if you have a Bible with you at your, at your house, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 and then we're going to be in Romans and we're going to be in Corinthians. So uh, you'll get a pretty good opportunity to move around a lot of the New Testament. want to just begin this morning by saying we're continuing on in our series looking at what it means to be a great church. What makes up a great church? And we had said earlier that it's, it's not you know, great music, it's not great preaching, but it's the presence of a great God in the lives of the individual members. And so we looked at our great God, we looked at the great salvation He offered, we looked at the great kingdom that He is building. And this morning we're going to look at the relationship between your church and God's great kingdom. What is the connection between the two of them? What exactly is kingdom work? And where do you and I fit in? And the main idea I want to communicate this morning is that God uses His church to do kingdom work in the world. But first, let's just pause and ask for God's help as we turn to His Word together. Father, we pray this morning that as we turn to Your Word, that You would turn our hearts toward You. You would help us to see the truths that we need to see. That You would make this book come alive to us today by the power of Your Spirit. That You would transform our lives. You would transform our hearts. And that this message would reach beyond um, this place, would reach to the, the many people that are listening and will listen. And Father, we thank you that your word never returns um, to you void. And so we trust that your word will do its work. And we praise you for that. And we praise you most of all for Jesus, our Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen. I finished reading a book not long ago. Named, and the title of the book was Kingdom Unleashed. It was written by two gentlemen, one by the name of Trousdale and the other one by the last name of Sunshine. I think that's great to have a book written by someone whose name is Sunshine. And the book highlights God's work in what they term the global south, which is mainly Africa and in Asia, where believers are living with very few resources, often in times of intense persecution, but where they're seeing God move in mighty ways, where men and women are coming to Christ in large numbers, that churches are starting and that they're growing and they're flourishing. And one of the pastors in the African church said that it's just obedient people multiplying obedient disciples in the natural networks of their lives. And they mark two things as vital in this growth, and that's the obedience to the commands of Scripture and prayer. And that God is literally causing spiritual earthquakes and that God's kingdom is being unleashed in remarkable ways. You see, God's purpose is to build His kingdom for His glory. And, and our church, the church, exists to promote and help advance that kingdom. We help to prepare and equip believers to bring God's authority into being in all parts of our lives. And so as I read through that book, it started me to think personally, what am I doing in, in my life to help advance God's kingdom? And why aren't we seeing God's kingdom unleashed in our area, in our neighborhoods, in the same way that we're seeing that happen in other parts of the world? 
What adjustments do I need to make? What adjustments do we need to make as a church to see these things happen? But I was also reminded of some really important truths that that God has given us everything we need in Christ. That He promises that He will build His church. That His kingdom is certain and unshakable and advancing. And God has a place for you and God has a place for me and for our church in what He wants to do. And so the first question I want to try to answer is, you know, what is God's chosen agency for kingdom work? And the answer there is the church. The church is God's chosen agent for kingdom work. In that passage I read earlier when Peter makes his brilliant proclamation of who Jesus is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says that upon this rock, this truth, I will build my church. And that word is the word ecclesia. It literally means, if you just broke it down, the called out. It has the imagery of a herald who would be in the center of a town and would yell out in a loud voice, asking people to come together and to gather. And so the word ecclesia soon became to mean just a gathering or an assembly of people. So we would be an ecclesia here in our gathering. People that gathered together for a court proceeding would be an ecclesia. If you look to the Apostles' Creed, more importantly, when it starts talking about ecclesia as the church, it calls it the communion or the common union, gathering together of saints. And so when we think about the church today, Christ Church, it's a community, a fellowship of men and women that are called by His name that are gathered together in His name, that are under His leadership, that enjoy the comfort, the assurance, the power of His personal presence through the Holy Spirit, that display qualities of His character, that operate according to His principles. It's His church. And Jesus says emphatically, I will build my church. Peter who had learned that great lesson there in Caesarea Philippi, goes on to write in later years in 1 Peter chapter 2 that as we, men and women, come to Christ, the solid rock, the one who is the cornerstone, that believers, people who trust in faith in Christ, are gathered together like living stones and formed into a spiritual house. That Jesus builds His church, one person, one living stone at a time. Now, it's also important for us to, to note that the kingdom and the church are, are not interchangeable terms. You can't read through Scripture and if it says kingdom, just put church in its place. And you can't take church and put kingdom in its place. Certainly, the two are interrelated and important, but they're not interchangeable. Tony Evans says that the kingdom is God's comprehensive rule over every part of your life. Others have said it's the king's power present in the king's people in the king's place. And we see that it's happening now. The kingdom is growing little by little, by leaps and bounds in some areas. But it's also future that it's not yet, that Jesus will return one day and we'll see the kingdom in full when he returns. So that the church is a part of the kingdom. 
And the church is established in this world as an example to show the world what the kingdom living looks like. To offer the world a better alternative to the way that it goes about things. And it's both global, it covers the earth, but it's also local, small gatherings. So in one sense, it's Christians everywhere, but it's also small sets of God's people meeting in different places. And this kingdom is both an embassy and an outpost. Now, an embassy is a building or a setup that represents a home country to handle diplomatic issues and preserve the rights of citizens abroad. When we were in the process of adopting our daughter, Samara, we visited the American embassy, the United States embassy in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And when you entered that building, it was like a little part of the United States in the middle of Honduras. It follows the direction of our government under the leadership of our president. It abides by our Constitution. It promotes the interests of the United States. And it's a resource for citizens of the United States when they're away from their home country. In a similar way, the church is part of God's kingdom in the middle of this world. We abide or we follow by the direction of Christ. We live by the truth of His Word. And the responsibility of this church as an embassy is to promote the interest of the kingdom. To resource and equip God's people to be kingdom citizens in the world we live in. But the church is also like an outpost. An outpost is a a military unit or base stationed in a foreign land. It's strategically placed. It's a small or even larger detachment of troops that are detached from the main force. And they conduct operations to, to stand against the assaults and intrusion of enemy forces and to advance their own agenda. So in the same way, our church, this church is an outpost. And this outpost is where we are right now geographically because God has a place for us to be here in this place. You're here, a part of this body, because God has a place for you in this place. And the mission we have is to stand against the assaults of the enemy. That we stand firm in the strength of the Lord, as Ephesians 6 tells us. That we would grow and be a house of prayer that we would pray at all times in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers and supplication to that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, as Ephesians tells us. And part of our responsibility is to love others without any question, to help to push back the darkness and the opportunities we have and to share as often as we have the opportunity the good news of the kingdom. Which leads me to... A question, how do you see your church today? Do you see it as an embassy? Do you see it as an outpost? Or do you see it as something else? You see in our Matthew 16 passage, we see that Jesus assured us that the church had three things. The first thing was his authority. Jesus told Peter, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And those keys were the symbol of his authority. Every child looks forward to the day when their dad says, here are the keys, and you get to take 
the car. You have that authority to insert the keys into a vehicle and to, to start it and to drive down the road. In my years in banking, I always thought it was kind of cool that I had the authority of having you know, keys to the vault at the, the bank. But the authority that Peter is learning about from Jesus is that which is entrusted to the church. And the purpose of that authority is to promote God's kingdom ways and to spread that good news of the kingdom. And that authority came with responsibility. Back to the car. Think about that. Dad or mom hands you the keys. And the first thing you think in your mind is, I get to go where I want. I get to do what I want to do. And then the reality sets in that there's still someone in charge. At least there was in my house. There was somebody that paid the bill. <laughs> there was somebody that owned the car. And I was obligated to still follow his rules. In the same way, that responsibility we have comes to play in the church. That is, he gives us authority that we also have the responsibility to work toward advancing his kingdom. Jesus told those disciples at Caesarea Philippi that with those keys that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He gave them the responsibility to carry out his will and to oppose the powers of the evil one. But he also gave them the assurance of victory. Don't you just imagine that the, uh, the rangers or the cowboys would, would play with a different level of excitement if before they exited the locker room and went onto the field, they were assured of victory, that no matter what happened, they would be victorious. It didn't matter who played well that day or how good the coaching was, that there would be victory. Well, Jesus gives the church this assurance of victory. The one who conquered death the one who conquered hell and even the devil declares that his church will be victorious. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In this 21st century that we live in, no one would doubt that the church is under attack. It's under intense scrutiny some justified by our own actions and disobedience, some unjustified that we would qualify as persecution. And statistically, the United States suggests that the majority of churches are stagnant, which means just stay in the same, or they're in decline. And we see more and more people each day saying no to church. But here is the truth. The church is the body of Christ. It's His chosen people to carry out His kingdom message. We are far from perfect, but we are redeemed. We are promised His authority, His power to carry out His great commission to represent His kingdom on earth. To fight the good fight of faith. To proclaim the kingdom wherever we go and to push back against the darkness. N.T. Wright said the church's responsibility is to show the world what it looks like when God is in charge. So our responsibility today as his church is to show the world what it looks like when God is in charge. And when God is in charge, things look different. 
You see, human kingdoms advance by strength, military, political, monetary strength. And might is king, and power is the currency. But God's kingdom advances in men and women that are filled with the Holy Spirit, that take God and His Word by faith, that receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, that walk in the power of His Spirit, that humbly live their lives, follow after Jesus and proclaim the good news and serve and love other people. They don't just walk around saying what they believe. But they actually live what they believe. Which brings us to the second point, which is kingdom work is God's love in action. The primary characteristic of God's kingdom is love. The Bible tells us God is love. And God's love is what motivated him to bring about this gift of salvation that we enjoy And Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated what his love looks like in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so his love in action, Jesus dying on the cross in your place and mine, rising from the dead so that we could have eternal life. And we only love, we're only able to love because he loved us first. And that love is toward God, first of all, and toward others as we live our lives. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote these words in the 1960s. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. So this work of love is a powerful force in the world that we live in, and we are called as the church to walk in love. To live by the law of love. In Romans chapter 14, we see this discussion of the liberty that we have in Christ. The freedom we have from the ritual law. And we also see the obligation that we have in love. And that in our love for others, that at times we voluntarily give up our rights. And in the case of the Romans, it was things that they were free to eat, that they were free to drink, but might cause some other person to stumble. And so in the best interest of others, Paul gives them the exhortation to give up those things willingly and not be a stumbling block. And in verse 17, listen to what he writes, Romans chapter 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy In the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes us makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. You see, love in action expresses itself in the way we act, in the way we carry out our relationships and in the way we show our attitude. He says righteousness. That's how we act in the world. That because of what Jesus did for us, we are enabled to stand before God righteous in Christ. And that he empowers us to live out his kingdom values. So he calls us to be righteous. He gives us his righteousness. And then his spirit empowers us to live a righteous life. But he also says it's peace. It affects our relationships because we have peace with God through 
Christ that we are called to live in peace with others. To pursue things that lead to peace and to make every effort to live at peace with everyone. And oh, we need his peace in our day and in our country. And may the Lord use his church to be agents of reconciliation, to be ministers of peace, to share his love. And then there's joy. That's our attitude That's the attitude that should pervade the life of a Christian. It's only experienced by those who are in Christ, by the abiding presence of His Holy Spirit. And we read in the Bible that it's contagious, that joyful people help other people enjoy life. It's unexplainable how someone can be joyful in the midst of difficult circumstances. And it's undefeatable. It can't be destroyed. So Paul teaches us what Jesus taught in the Sermon of the Mount, and he shows us what is required and that it's fruit that's provided by the Holy Spirit working in us. And it enables us as kingdom citizens who are in a part of his kingdom in an embassy here to be his ambassadors. The United States government has an ambassador to most of the major countries, and they are the representative of the United States. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are Christ's ambassadors, and he's making his appeal through us. Well, that changes the way that I think about going out of the house in the morning and walking into the world, realizing that I am an ambassador, and the image of the kingdom in a large part is portrayed in the way that I live my life because people are looking to see is what he says he believes really what he believes. Can it be true? So when a Christian businessman or someone in the workplace does their job with honesty and integrity, righteousness is at work. When a stay-at-home mom prays and seeks after the welfare of the city where she lives, just like in Jeremiah 29, that's peace, working. When you or I smile with a, with a joy that is born deep within our heart, even when things around us aren't so joyful or don't seem so joyful, that's God's kingdom peace at work. The world is watching to see what kingdom values look like. And when it looks around and it sees real people in real situations that are transformed by a great God who does great things. They notice the difference. That when we're living examples of this truth, the Bible teaches, people notice. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20, Paul writes to the Corinthians, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now, nobody would argue the fact that talking is important. It's how we communicate. It's a regular part of our lives. Obviously, we have to talk. It's how you and I communicate. In fact, it's what I'm doing right now in in preaching. So we have to talk about our faith. We have to talk about the kingdom. We tell the good news. We teach God's word. We share testimonies. We let people know what God is doing. Because how in the world would lost people ever become kingdom people if they don't hear the good news? How could they hear if no one speaks? It's what Romans 10 tells us. 
But if all I ever did in life was talk, or all you ever did in your life was just talk about kingdom things and never show people what the kingdom looked like, you were all talk and no action, it would be hypocritical, it would be unproductive, and it would even be unbiblical. You see, there has to be evidence of God's power at work. And it's the power that transforms and is transforming people like you and me. It's resurrection power, Paul says. The power that brought about new birth, that gives us new life, that brings about real change. That says, I am different. I am not the same. I am a new man or a new woman in Christ. And so kingdom work happens when ordinary people encounter the great God. We said at the start, a church is men and women called out by God to faith in Christ. They're gathered together. They're called to go out, to go forth in His name. But let me add one more thing. They operate in the power of His Spirit. It really is miraculous that God's Spirit works in the lives of ordinary people transforming men, women, and children through a relationship, simple, trusting faith in Christ, belief that Jesus was crucified, He was buried, that He was resurrected, raised up, and that He's returning again. That turning away from sin and self and turning to Christ, and in that moment of trusting faith, that person is born again, transformed and given new life. Do you know Jesus today? Are you born again? Have you been transformed? Because God works in this world through normal people, not super Christians. People who say, I've been changed by the power of God and I am not the same anymore. It draws attention to God's power and gives no credit to our personal talents or our personal abilities. It brings great glory to our great God. That's why in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, Paul writes, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing work belongs to God and not to us. As much as you or I would like to think that we are a vase made of gold or or silver, or something precious, even on our very best days, we're just old clay pots. Think about it. Genesis says we're formed out of the dust. We're formed by our Maker. We're simple, humble vessels made for His use. Here is the principle. The more humble the vessel, the brighter the content shine out. And sometimes those vessels are cracked, broken, and mended. And when people around us see God working in and through humble, ordinary people, just like you and just like me, there's no doubt. They have to say it's God at work. And that we can say it's not me, but it's Christ in me. Francis of Assisia a man of faith of many years earlier, was once asked, 
how he was able to accomplish so much in his life. Very humbly, his response was this. This may be why the Lord looked down from heaven and said, where can I find the weakest, littlest man on the earth? Then he saw me and said, I found him and he won't be proud of it. He'll see that I am only using him because of his insignificance. J. Hudson Taylor, missionary, said all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on him being with them. Kingdom work, ordinary people living simple lives to the glory of God wherever they go. A mom raising her children, teaching in her home, showing her husband love and respect. That's kingdom work. Dads loving their wives like Christ loved the church, training their children in the fear of the Lord. That's kingdom work. Young people and children honoring their father and mother. That's kingdom work. Sitting beside a sick friend, visiting a lonely friend or neighbor. You guessed it. It's kingdom work. Choosing to love and be gracious when the person serving you isn't at their best. It's kingdom work. Praying with and for your family, your community, your church, and your world. It's kingdom work. Loving God and loving others. The process of making disciples, sharing the good news is kingdom work. And in the words of Eugene Peterson in the message, God's power at work in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. Because when human weakness meets God's power, that's kingdom work. Let me return to where we started at the beginning. Our great God uses His church to do kingdom work in the world. It's His plan to bring Him glory It's His love and action through the ordinary men and women who have been transformed by His presence. You may or may not know this, but today is Pentecost Sunday. It's 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. In that time, the disciples in the book of Acts are recorded as gathering together in the upper room, waiting and praying, just like Jesus had instructed them sound like a rushing wind came from heaven. Tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you see that the kingdom was ignited. The church was born because ordinary people encountered the great God. They were marked by boldness, power, and joy. Lord, this morning... We ask that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That you would fill your church afresh with your spirit to do what you have called us to do. Your work, kingdom work. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me this morning? Oh God, we are your church. We have been put here in this place with a purpose. Each of us individually parts of the body called to serve you in unique ways, gifted in unique ways, all for the growth and the glory of your kingdom. 
Florida, I would have to be honest and admit that I think we're just, we've just barely scratched the surface of, of seeing what you want to do in our church, in our community, in Burleson, and in us, and in me. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to see what your kingdom on earth looks like. Lord, that you would start it afresh and anew in each one of our hearts. I pray for those that have have doubted in the past. Those that are just struggling and having a difficult time believing that everything the Bible says can be true. That you really are who you say you are. That they would see that it's not just a fairy tale. It's not just fiction, but it is truth. And that you do transform. And Lord, they would see you as the great God of all creation. I pray for those that struggle. That, that know the thing that they should do and just have a hard time yielding that to you. Lord, for those that, that battle with fear. Those that battle with anger. Those that battle with addiction, with obsession, or that you would show them that you came to bring about victory. And the victory begins when we yield ourselves to you. I pray that as we move out as your kingdom citizens, that we would have a vision that is so much larger than we are. That we wouldn't be limited by the things that we see or the things that we can understand, but that we would expand our vision, Lord, that we would be open our eyes to see where our help comes from, that it comes from the Lord. And Lord, that you would give us opportunity to see your kingdom unleashed here in this place, and that we would be your church in this place doing your work, kingdom work, for your glory. For those that are in other places and parts of other fellowships, Lord, because I don't want this to be limited just to us. Lord, we want to see you do a great and mighty work in your people. Lord, I pray that in humility, that in brokenness, that we would come to the place of emptying ourselves of the junk in our lives and opening ourselves to you, that we would lay down ourselves and be filled with your spirits and that congregations and pulpits, churches, all across our area, Lord, would be set aflame by the power of your Spirit. And Lord, that your love would be shown to all, that your truth would be shared to all. And Lord, Burleson would be known as a place where your kingdom is advancing. God, thank you for allowing us to meet here this morning. Thank you for the presence of your spirit and the truth of your word. And we thank you for the king who reigns over your kingdom. That he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he rules and reigns over a kingdom that will never end. And that he is coming again to make all things new. We thank you, O Lord, and we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen. We're going to sing one more song together, and I just want to thank you for being a part of our, our service this morning, whether joining us um, online or joining us here in person. Um, it's been a, a joy and a delight to see faces and to worship with you. And I do encourage you, as we, as we sing this song together, you would just ask in your heart, just a small, simple prayer, Lord, apply this truth to my heart, 
Help me not to, to leave here, to walk away from these words without considering what you've spoken to me and help me to be changed and transformed for your glory. Will you sing with us? And God bless.
Very soon, guys.